morning from the Gospel according to John, chapter 13, verses 31 through 35, if you'd like to follow along. When Judas was gone, Jesus said, Now the human one has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify the human one in himself, and will glorify him immediately. Little children, I'm with you for a little while longer. You will look for me, but just as I told the Jewish leaders, I also tell you now, where I'm going, you can't come. I give you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. So also must love, you must love each other. This is how everyone will know that you are my disciples when you love each other. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. The good, the bad, the ugly. This morning we continue our series in the church. As we recognize that it is in the church that you and I can experience the good and the very best of things in people. The bad and also the ugly in our experience and in the way we interact and worship and study and serve with one another. For the church is the place where you and I can experience life in things and in ways that we just can't imagine it. It's the way and it's the place where you and I can can experience life-changing things because when the church is offering its best or the good, people are coming to Christ. They're growing in their faith. They're praying for one another. And all are seeking and all are unified behind the common goal, which is making disciples for Jesus Christ. When the church is bad, well, people aren't coming to Christ. Lives aren't being changed. Worship, study, and ministry is is offered without really an expectation behind it that people's lives should be changed or touched or formed by God through the Holy Spirit. And when things are ugly, well, we know what that is because there's potential to hurt people in ways that no other place or organization or group can do. Because when the church is ugly, people are treated in ways that cause them to question their participation, the groups they're part of, and maybe even they're questioning whether or not something that's supposed to be good for them is really worth it at all. We've all experienced these things. We've all heard of things said in the church that crossed the line. We've seen how decisions were made that made some question what was done. But my hope today and my intent in this la- these three weeks of us talking about this is for us to see that our, steri- our stories that are good far outweigh the ones that are bad. Because the good stories are the ones that we have to, to- tell. The good stories are the ones that you and I have to reside in when we think about who we are as the body of Christ here in this place today and as we think about our ministry and the ways that we have been present in our community and in the lives of those we love. Because the good stories are the ones that people hear. And so when we look and when we hear and when we think about these stories, we think about the body of Christ that is truly being the body where lives are being changed, where people are being transformed, where every person, no matter their age or skills or gifts or anything else, are valued and included because they are unique. And they are offered for the work of God in this community. Last Sunday I invited you to think about a good experience in the church that you have had 
Because those are the stories that we have to share and tell. Those are the stories that we have to remember as a shared history of the church. Because if we don't restore, carry on the good stories, the bad stories are the ones that get told and remembered and passed on. Those are the stories that people that aren't part of this church hear. And maybe they don't even are, they're not presented in a way that gives them a full picture and so it gives them a negative picture of what it means to be a part of a church and a community of faith. But I know from my life that the good stories are the ones that far outweigh the others. Because the others are just hiccups in the road. And the good stories are the things that help you and I to see the grace of God at work and to experience the Holy Spirit in its life-changing way and to just know that God's love permeates and, and, and overflows into all things as we experience care and comfort and support and encouragement and as we receive challenge from one another on this Christian journey. So this morning I want to continue this look at the good, the bad, and the ugly of the church as we read and as we look first in the Gospel of John chapter 13, 31 through 35 where Jesus is telling the disciples, I am offering to you a new commandment. And it's a commandment that you are to love one another just as I have loved you. And then he continues to tell them that you will be known by others by the way you love one another. See, when the church is good, people are known by the way they treat one another. They're known by the way that they they offer themselves to other people, by the way that they offer themselves in service or interact with one another in worship and in study and in fellowship. Because they're known by their love. They're known not by the way that they treat each other in a negative way or the way they look down upon others that come, they come in contact with, but they're known by their love. And see, I think that's the scripture, or that's the teaching that Paul was thinking about when he was writing to a church in the city of Corinth. There was a fledgling Christian community. They hadn't existed for long. And because of their location, they were facing challenges that... That, well, they're very much like our own. Because of what they were experiencing and the things that were happening. And because of the people that they were encountering. This morning we're reading from a letter that was written between 50 and 56 AD. Paul was believed to have traveled to Corinth, I think on his, his second missionary journey. And, and following his trip to Corinth, he goes to Ephesus where he hears about what has happened to this church that he left in Corinth. He's writing to a church that that is in a community that is experiencing great change. The Greek city of Corinth had been destroyed. The Romans had rebuilt it in roughly the 40s AD. And so because of its location, this city was experiencing change. Very much like the change that you and I can think of in our own lives. And that we've experienced and witnessed and continue to witness. But this city was experiencing great change because of its location. And the potential for wealth. That its location offered it. The city of Corinth is located on an isthmus between two seas. The Aegean Sea and the Adriatic Sea. Which allowed this city to have two ports. And so ships would come to one port and dock. And they would trans, uh, transfer the cargo from one ship and one port to the other. So it could go. And so the Corinthians had an, a vast opportunity to make money and wealth. Because of the, the taxes that they were to, to levy as well as their, their, 
you know, sale and stocking of these ships because of their importance of these ports. It was a commercially viable city. And because of that, it caused the, the fledgling Christian community to, to, in a sense, stumble. Because in addition to this city having such an opportunity for wealth, the high number of ships that were coming meant that they also had high exposure to other faiths to other gods, to other expressions of faith, to other ways that they could worship. For as the ships docked in the ports, so came other things in addition to the trade items that they carried. See, for an early Christian community, I can't imagine what kind of time this was. As they heard... Different messages as other apostles who claim to be apostles of Jesus, like Apollos that's listed specifically in Corinth, I think in Corinthians, had come following Paul and he taught the Corinthian Christians a message that was based on wisdom and not the grace and love and power of Jesus Christ that Paul was sharing. And so at some point Paul heard about the struggles of this church. He heard about the struggles that they were, they were engaged in, about the ways that they were searching to find a theological answer and direction for who they needed to be. And as they were searching for a way that they needed to interact with one another, as they had been presented a different way of living. If you remember with me last week, we looked at 1 Corinthians 12, in which Paul talked to the, uh, the early Christian church about how they were to be the body of Christ. And about how their community of faith was to be so different from the society that they existed in. If you'll remember with me last week in 1 Corinthians 12, he says that in the church all are equal. Whether you were Jewish first or Gentile, Greek. Whether you were free or whether you were a slave or are currently enslaved. In the eyes of God all. All can come and worship. And a part of this faith community. And then he continues today with 1 Corinthians 13. As he tells them and us about how they're to live. How they're to treat one another. What's supposed to undergird who they are as a community of faith. As they choose. As they choose to follow Jesus Christ. And so our first scripture that we read this morning comes from 1 Corinthians 13. I don't know how many of you are familiar with this passage. It's often the one that's read at weddings. And so we often hear it there. But this morning I want to invite you to think about it more as a theological message to the church. Because Paul is writing to a community of faith that has been struggling. They're trying to find their identity. They're trying to find how they're to relate to one another. They're trying to figure out how a slave owner and a slave and a previously a Greek you know, or a Greek man who, who exists in high in society are all to come together in this one room and in this one community called the church to worship Jesus Christ. And so Paul's telling them after he's told them they're the body of Christ and all are equal and they all are even in the eyes of God, then he's telling them of how they're supposed to treat one another and what they're supposed to do and how they each can bring their own unique talents into this ministry and their gifts as a contribution to the larger group as a whole. And then in chapter 13 he tells them about love. 
And this is an amazing passage of scripture because it allows us to see and hear and think about love in a different way. But Paul begins by telling the church that it's a gift. It's not a gift, a spiritual gift that is to be given. To each person in the Corinthian church, they were weighing the spiritual gifts that each of them had been given. And different people were being lifted up because of their ability to heal or speak in tongues or teach. And Paul had told them, no. All of those are equal in the eyes of God. For each of you is equally important as the other. For all of you have to come together to effectively be the body of Christ. And so he continues by telling them that love is not a gift. It's not a spiritual gift. Yes, it's a gift from God, but it's not something that we are to consider that one believer has it, but another does not. Instead, what he tells them is essentially this. That love is to be the way of the Christian life. Which if you think about Jesus' teaching in the Gospel of John, that's basically what he told them, wasn't it? What he told the disciples, it said Judas had left and then Jesus told them, let me tell you another way. Love others as I have loved you. And then Paul says that love is, is the way, basically, of what it means to be a Christian. It's the way. It's not something that one person has and another person does not. It's not something that that can necessarily be measured or compared to another. Love is to be it that guides us. Love is to be the foundation on which the Christian community is built as we recognize, as Paul says, that the gifts that we are given at times can go. And they're only given to us for a time, for a need in the church, for a time in the church. But the underlying way is it all must be built on love. And so if we look at that, and if we think about that as a church who wants to be good, then love undergirds the way we relate to one another, the way we fellowship with one another, the way we pray for one another, the way we talk to other people, the way we worship with one another, and the way we serve with and to one another. Love undergirds that. Love provides us a concrete expression of what it means to be a Christian. And so Paul writes that it's not a gift. It's not something that each of us has and others do not. Instead, it's it's the way. And so when he lists different ways that love is expressed, which we read in this passage of Scripture, he's lifting not different ways, but... He's listing ways that we should act. He's not listing these things and saying, well, if you're going to be loving, here's my wish list. What he's saying is, if you're loving, or when you're loving, or because you're loving, this is how you're going to act. So that others can see who you are, and because of your love, they will know you as a disciple and as a follower of Jesus Christ. So love then is not some abstract thing that we aspire to. Instead, Paul presents it in a way that it has to be expressed. By our actions to other people. By the ways we treat them and by the ways that we come together. 
Because if we allow everything that we do to be undergirded on the love of God that's given to us through Jesus Christ and then the love that we share with others, well then we can do all things. And in all times and in all places, we can be good. And the way we offer ourselves to others because they will see our love for one another and they will know that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. And so when Paul wrote to the church in 1 Corinthians 13, he told them love is patient, love is kind. It isn't jealous, it doesn't brag, it isn't arrogant, it isn't rude, it doesn't seek its own advantage, it isn't irritable. It doesn't keep a record of complaints. It isn't happy with injustice, but is happy with the truth. Love puts up with all things, trusts in all things, hopes for all things, and endures all things. See, as we think about our good stories, I think we see the stories where God's love was present in the ways that we acted, in the ways people chose to act towards one another and with one another and in ministry to one another. Because when we're loving to one another, we are patient. We don't brag, we're kind, we're not jealous. And the list goes on. Because we offer ourselves and we build our relationship, our faith and our Christian community on the thing that does not ever fail which is the love of God. See, we can build our Christian community on a personality or on certain people or on the way we act or choose to act, but those things can fail. But if we build who we are on the faith that we've been given and on the love that comes to us from God, then it will never fail. Because in the end, all we really have is our faith, our hope, and our love. And the greatest of these is the love that we've been given from God by His Son Jesus Christ when He offered Himself up for us so that we might be forgiven, so that we might be renewed, so that we might be a changed people whose lives are transformed by the grace of God so that we can serve and worship and witness and do all things in His name. But in the end, we must be known by the love we share and the love we offer to each other. And the way we love as Jesus loved us. Amen.